Welcome to Biota.org Interviews. I'm Tom Barbley, and today I have the pleasure of talking with John McCormack, who's an electronic media artist and lecturer at Monash University in Australia. John, for people not familiar with your work, can you please give some discussion to your background and how you got interested in artificial life? Uh, okay, thanks, Tom. Um, well, I started off uh, studying mathematics and computer science, and... Um, they were kind of interesting, but I didn't really get the point of maths. Uh, and then after that, I studied filmmaking, and it just so happened that at the time I was doing my filmmaking course, there was some new computer equipment uh, that enabled you to do animation using computers. And this is, we're talking sort of 1985, I think, 86. Um, and suddenly I just realized that you could use maths to actually make pictures and make interesting things like animation. So that was where I really became interested in the idea of uh, using mathematics computer processes to uh, make things that were creative. And so from then on, I just really worked in that industry and I've done that um, uh, really on and off uh, and up until now. As you know, you've been developing artificial life-related work for the past 20 years. How has the change in technology changed your work? Um, well, I think the important thing to say really is that the technology hasn't changed much. Um, I think the ideas were always the things that interested me. So once um, someone gave me the, that seminal paper by Chris Langton on artificial life from the first Day Life conference, and this was just shortly after the conference had, had happened, and um, I just I still remember reading that and thinking, wow, this is a this is a really interesting idea. And it was a lot of things that I'd sort of been thinking about but didn't have a name for. And I think a lot of other people felt that way too. So it was really good to read that paper and then to follow up on it over sort of you know really the last twenty years, I guess. So I think the ideas have been the strong thing for me. Certainly, the technology is. Um, a lot faster now. I look at some of the software I wrote sort of you know, 10 or 15 years ago and I really have to slow it down now to actually see it doing anything. It runs so quickly on my on my laptop computer and uh, I remember in, in sort of 91, 92 I was using a, a supercomputer in the US to do what I can really do on my laptop now. So I guess there have been big speed changes but as I said in terms of the ideas I think they're still very strong ideas and they've still got a lot um, left in them to explore. Your work covers static rendering, motion rendered film, and real-time interactive simulation environments. How does the artificial life aesthetic translate between these methods? Um, well, I think uh, I began, at the time I began, and this is related to your previous question, the idea of using computers to make um, audiovisual material was, was very new. And uh, as I said, I was using a supercomputer, but you still had to wait for you know, days and days and days to see the results of what you'd done. Uh, so I started off doing that. Now, of course, it's possible to do what took you know, days and weeks really very, very quickly in real time in some cases. Um, so my aesthetic really goes back to, um, I mean, it's always driven by the work itself. I always want to give the work a very strong aesthetic sense. Um, and that's very much, influenced I think by the process. So in earlier works the process was very slow and very sort of thoughtful because you had to spend so much time committed to doing something you put a lot of effort into the the visual aesthetics for instance. Um, with more real-time work I guess the 
the the phenomenon or the experience of the work is very different. Um, and so I've gone from more minimal representations to get still an interesting aesthetic, but something that happens in real time that you experience in a different way, I think, than watching a movie or looking at a still image or something like that. So there's certainly a difference. And I think it's it's partially driven by the technology, but also the nature of, of an interactive experience versus a, a static or a linear film experience. Nature and alternate nature seems to be reoccurring themes through your work. Is this conscious or is it merely a property of developing artificial life art? Uh, well, it's, I'd certainly say it's conscious. Um, uh, I guess, you know, I grew up in Australia and I was very fortunate to um, spend a lot of time in the bush, in the wilderness, and to really appreciate nature at, at a level that I think might be difficult for people living in, uh, you know, very crowded urban environments, for instance. Um, so that certainly gives me a, a perspective on nature and natural systems. And, and certainly having, you know, being someone who likes to spend a lot of time in national parks and that kind of thing has, has very much influenced my thinking. I think also at this point in human development, we're at a very crucial stage in terms of our effect on the biosphere, in terms of the, you know, the CO2 that we're putting into the atmosphere and so forth. And uh, we're sort of really poised to make some radical changes. So in, in some sense, my work has always been about the idea of um, lost nature, about natures that uh, have been destroyed or are no longer accessible or don't exist anymore. And rather than just being um, like the nature that we used to have. These are radically different. They're very electronic and very um, um, almost alien or artificial in a way. And that's, that, that is very deliberate, but they still give you a sense of nature, I think, a sense of um, vastness or unpredictability of, of ecosystems or all those sorts of things that we associate in terms of process or phenomenon of nature uh, that are really difficult to to access in any other kind of technology. So in a sense, it's really about sort of putting nature into electronics, into um, uh, human-made artifacts that aren't like products or um, don't have a purpose or necessarily tell a story in a traditional sense. So something more along the lines of experience, I guess, is what I'd say. Over the past two decades of your artificial life work, what have been the high points and why? Um, well, I think, as I said, reading that original Chris Langton paper was, was really, uh, you know, you don't, you don't often get situations, uh, I think, uh, when you read something and it has such an effect on you. Um, and certainly there's only been a few papers I think I've read that have really, uh, you know, grabbed my attention and I thought, yeah, this is, these are some interesting ideas. Of course, when you look back on them now in hindsight, you think, well, there were a lot of problems and there were a lot of unanswered questions. And really it's not so much about one individual paper, but it's setting an agenda for something. Um, so certainly that's a high point. I think um, always when I finish a work is always a high point because often they take quite a long time to do. Um, one of the works I did, uh, Turbulence, which was um, completed in about 1994, took uh, I think really four years, almost three years of, of, of actual work and then another sort of six to eight months of sort of conceptualization and so on. And about a year was software writing and two, two and a bit years were, were doing the rendering, uh, which is just creating the, all the images for the work. So certainly it's, I mean, a lot of a lot of the works that are done on computer are not sort of instantaneous, perhaps as people might think now, because we're very used to you know, sort of immediate feedback. Um, so you're finishing works and another work, Eden, that I've that I've been working on really for the last sort of five years or so has 
been um, evolutionary, I guess. It started off as being something very simple and has grown to become something more complex. So uh, I, I guess I consider that work to be finished about a year ago, even though we're still kind of doing stuff with it at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's really just finishing, I think, is always good to get a sense of achievement. What works are you working on currently? Uh, well, I've just uh, I've just finished a couple of works. I did a commission for um, a very large billboard in Queensland. So I think apparently it's the largest billboard in Australia. Um, and for that work, I uh, which is called Bloom, uh, I took a whole series of native species of plants that uh, were in the local area and basically subject them to a whole. Uh, these were all, I should mention that these are all virtually represented too, so I didn't actually physically take any plants. I have a system that I've written that encodes a method of basically growing plants. And um, so this work uh, took the, the digital gene, if you like, for those native species and sort of crossbred them, mutated them, spliced them around and came up with five imaginary or impossible species. Um, uh, that were displayed on this billboard. So they're all artificial, completely artificial. And the response was very interesting because a lot of people thought they were either paintings or um, they, weren't, they weren't actually sure that they were done on computer. And so when they found out that they were actually done through this algorithmic process, I think the appreciation of the work really, really deepened. So rather than just seeing it as an image of, of these strange plants that reminded them of something that might have been there locally, um, there was a, maybe a much more sinister tone. I think also because in that work in particular, um, I incorporated the notion of death into the plant. So they would have a finite amount of resources and you could, uh, the resources would run out. So in, uh, one of the images of the plant is actually dead rather than being alive. And we typically associate you know, living systems and growing systems with artificial life research uh, to some extent. So I think it's interesting to build in other models of things like death, uh, decay and so forth, uh, particularly in relation to the environmental message that I was talking about earlier. So that's one that I've just completed and some, some new work that I'm working on just at the moment is really um, more based on the idea of ecosystems. So using an ecosystem model in a very abstract sense to try and come up with um, new kinds of systems that really work in tandem with a human artist. So the artist becomes part of the ecosystem and is working um, uh, as part of a system to give you really new uh, new ways of exploring a, a data space, something that uh, you can um, interact with in a way that I don't think uh, software that you can get at the moment allows you to interact with. So that's just something that we're, we're starting to work on at the moment. You've been a leader in the Australian artificial life community for more than a decade, and I know you've just returned from the UK as well. What are the new exciting projects you're seeing being developed in Australia and the UK currently? Um, well, I think, uh, I don't know if there's that much happening in Australia at, at the moment. Um, certainly my experience in the UK is that there's, um, there's certainly more funding available, but I think there's just probably more funding available uh, generally uh, in the UK and Europe. Uh, I think artificial life is a very, in terms of its artistic influence, I think it's a very small group of people worldwide who are really interested in it and developing it. But there is a big um, interest in what's referred to as generative art, which I think is related uh, to some extent to some A-life um, research and A-life work. And that's become very popular. And it, uh, I think we've seen that really into the mainstream design uh, areas and also um, just in terms of the way that that work is accepted uh, artistically now I think is becoming much more it's becoming much more acceptable um, 
here in Australia, really, there's there's really only a few people involved in a life research and a life art, a handful of them, and I think. Um, uh, as I was saying to you earlier, the, the idea of, um, of of meeting up is something that we usually do um, internationally rather than locally, which is kind of strange. But I guess not surprising given the sort of distances between capital cities in Australia and the, the fact that most people don't bother um, uh, uh, kind of travelling regularly between the major capitals unless they've got good reason to. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's, there's a sense that things are... Um, Moving on to a next phase, if you like, we've had a lot of um, uh, conferences and things recently. There was an ALIFE conference that was held here a couple of years ago, one of the, the big um, American ALIFE conference. Uh, and there's certainly an Australian ALIFE workshop that happens regularly every year. Uh, but I think the, the, there's a shift now. A lot of the earlier ALIFE work has, has merged into other conferences in evolutionary systems, which are very big. Um, uh, simulation of adaptive behaviour, that conference has been going for a long time too. So yeah, it's, it's really uh, sort of multiplied and uh, diffused in a way. Um, uh, but uh, I think, as I said, there, there's more of a funding emphasis, I think, overseas than in Australia at the moment. What more would you like to see with the international artificial life community? Um, well, I'd, I'd like to see more events. I think there's, uh, I, I, I guess there's probably Quite a few. There's the major conferences for me in artificial life are the European Conference, which is every two years, and the American Conference, which is every year. Uh, this uh, the A Life Journal is still is still going really strong. I think uh, what would be great to see would be more uh, uh, a conference devoted to A Life art, which uh, I know there's been a few events that have happened. Um, in the past, but something that's a, a regular component. There is an evolutionary music and art conference which happens in Europe uh, every year. Uh, but really, I think a focus on artificial life art in particular, even though, as I said, it's a fairly small group of people, I think there's still um, plenty to be explored in that area. And there's some, you know, there are enough people to get a critical mass. Any final thoughts for the interview, John? Uh, well, I just um, say it's great that you're doing these interviews. I think they're really interesting to listen to some of the other ones that you've done. Um, if people wanted to find out more information about my work, um, I presume you'll put a link to my website. I also have a book uh, available called Impossible Nature, which is um, currently only available in Australia, but you can order it online and they'll ship it overseas. So if you don't live in Australia and you're interested, um, it's still possible to get. And that um, the book contains a lot of more detailed writing that I've done about, particularly about artificial life art from a theoretical perspective. And it also contains a DVD of my work so you can get much more of a sense as to, to what it's like. Um, uh, particularly because exhibiting this kind of work is actually quite difficult. Uh, it takes a lot of um, time and resources to exhibit most of the works that I've done. And so therefore they don't get shown uh, that, that often. And when they do, it's, it's always a big effort. I usually have to go uh, to where the exhibition's been held and spend a couple of days setting it up. And always with computers, of course, there's problems with them breaking down and not working. Um, so we try and do everything we can to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess uh, maybe one thing to, to think about, uh, work out how it might be possible to exhibit artificial life works in a way that you know, I feel aesthetically happy with. Uh, that um, doesn't require so many resources in terms of uh, you know setting them up and, and the space that's available for them. Thank you very much for the opportunity to interview you, John. Well, thank you, Tom. It was good.